the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Кстати, далеко не все продукты действительно стоит брать с собой. Например, из круп дольше всех хранится рис в среднем до 8 Довольно долго можно продержаться, разумеется, на мясных консервах. Они хранятся меньше, не более двух лет. Ну и, конечно, сложно без молока, хотя бы в сухом виде, а также сахара и yesterday afternoon for those who missed the broadcast uh here are the cliff's notes uh it went something like this the entire world minus russia demanded action on syria russia proceeded to claim false flags then deny anything actually happened in the first place if you're wondering yes the russian ambassador kind of contradicted himself there but screw it it's russia They're going to deny their ambassador was even there. They'll, you know, leak bad Photoshop of him at a strip club with Steven Stegall and then sit back and laughs while uh, calling everybody a Russiaphobe. So what really happened at the meeting yesterday? Well, yesterday, the U.S. proposed a resolution calling for international investigators to be given access to the site of the chemical attack. Russia, of course, proceeded to veto it. Russia then proceeded to offer a counter-resolution calling for investigators of their own who would uh, then report their findings to Russia. So Russia said, no, 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 you can trust us. We'll send Russians to investigate, and then they'll report to us, and then we'll tell you about that. Well, you can imagine how that went. That was a veto bonanza. It was well understood yesterday. That this is now going to fall on the, the shoulders of America, as it always does for some reason. It was well understood yesterday that if no agreement was made at the U.N., military strikes from the United States would be imminent. As the ambassadors left the room empty-handed, a flurry of activity began. Airline companies operating in the Middle East received a request to change their routes for the next 48 hours. Flight trackers showed civilian aircraft all but stopped around Syria and parts of the Mediterranean. One hour after that, Russia began relocating their hardware and their planes and their helicopters from multiple military bases inside Syria. Reports began coming in that the Syrian military was digging in and preparing for a strike. Then everything went quiet last night. It's still quiet. But it's daytime. It's assumed that Russia had been given a short window to get their forces out of the line of fire. But in a very short time, U.S. ordnance could be falling and it would be too close to Russian soldiers. The Kremlin is taking this very seriously. Which leads us back to the audio we began with. What was it he was saying? What was it the Russian people were hearing? Last night on Russian state TV, the broadcaster began. He was warning of a nuclear war. They were broadcasting the details of what you needed to do 
in case of a nuclear war. They said, don't panic. However, this could be coming. And if we broadcast that missiles are headed our way, and we are in a nuclear war, you make sure that you bring rice, oats, canned food, olive oil, sugar, and powdered milk to the closest bomb shelter near you. The Russian people seem to be a little more sober about this. Most Americans don't even really understand how close we are. It's the opposite of the Cuban Missile Crisis. I remember my parents talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis and how the world sat on edge. Russia is sitting on edge. What are we talking about? Stormy Daniels? Is this all a show? Last night I went to bed knowing that the Russians were preparing for nuclear strikes. And this morning I read this tweet. Russia vows to shoot down any and all missiles fired at Syria. Get ready, Russia, because they'll be coming nice and new and smart. You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills his own people and enjoys it, end quote. While everything he said was true, are there some things that should be taken a little more seriously. The sun goes down in a few hours in Syria. If a strike happens, it's going to come after the sun goes down. Yesterday afternoon, I... I tweeted, pray for all those in harm's way. Perhaps we should be a little more specific. Pray for all of those in Syria. But I think those in harm's way live all over the world and in this country as well. It's Wednesday, April 11th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So there's a ton to go over today. Hello, Stu. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Good. I mean, you know, it's a little disturbing to have the Russians on TV going, here's what you do in case of nuclear war. That's disturbing. It's also disturbing that I feel like every time we listen to clips from Russian state television, it sounds like another language in reverse. You notice that? 
Кстати, далеко не все продукты действительно стоит брать с собой. Например, из круг дольше всех... It does kind of sound like it that. It does sort of sound like that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's such a uh, such a strange thing to be in the middle of. But remember, we talked about this a while ago. Uh, everyone was talking for so many years about how soft Donald Trump was going to be on Russia mm-hmm. and how it was this big concern. And, I, you know, we talked about it. Easily see it being the exact opposite. Right? Like, who? <laughs> yeah. he could be so tough on Russia that we wind up in a conflict with Russia. Uh, and you know, I don't. Hopefully, that uh, doesn't happen. Well, I, I, but, I mean, so far, I think we're doing the right thing. So yeah. far, we have to, we have to respond to chemical weapons being used. Do we not? And here's where my libertarian gets me. In trouble. Yeah, I know. That's the, again. That's that is definitely falling in the category of world police. There's not a lot of uh, U.S. interests involved. Yeah, in I, that. I, I should say that the world needs to respond. The yeah. United States shouldn't be the one always. The world needs to respond, especially their neighbors. And I, you know, I really it really bothers me. What use is the UN? Oh, they're completely worthless right. because it, Russia could just veto everything that they do. Correct. So, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's no point really there. Uh, they'll get some sort of coalition together, I think, uh, to support this in some uh, name only sort of way, as that usually is. But uh, I guess you could make the argument that we have to draw that red line that Obama drew and then erased on chemical weapons, because if they become acceptable they become something that rogue nations can use without punishment, rogue nations will start using them without punishment, and it could very well wind up being a long-term downhill trajectory. Uh, but, you know, that it's a it's a long-term argument. I don't think there's, there's a huge amount of uh, U.S. interests that would be served by this. It's just we just need to make sure that, that other rogue regimes don't decide this is a, a viable You could path. make the case that there is real uh, U.S. interests involved in this because it's Russia, Iran, and Syria. Yeah, it's Three proxy stuff, really though. bad states. And if they are allowed to run roughshod over Syria, you know, Iran controls the Middle East yeah. along with Russia. That's not good. There was a there was talk about them, this happening last night, a shooting you know, firing missiles in there last night, and they the speculation is that Russia hasn't moved enough of their stuff yet to show that's how... good. And that's good. We're being careful. Yes. A lot of people, obviously, uh, you know, Donald Trump doesn't come into this with a military background, but he's surrounded himself with a lot of people who have military backgrounds. Yeah, no, he's... He's, he's got a really good... Especially yeah. when it comes to the military, has a really good selection of people around him. Yes. Uh, so, you know... They're going I, to be calm. They're going to be rational. Uh, and, uh, and you know, I think everybody, at least in the Pentagon, everybody knows Russia means it. I mean, if, if, if we killed a bunch of troops, Russian troops oh, yeah. with a That's missile a strike, really th- big deal. That would be a very, very big deal. Now, both sides talk tough, right? I mean, Russia says a lot of things that if we took as literal, uh, promises, we would be at war with them. I have to tell you, I think... Unlike Barack Obama, Vladimir Putin doesn't make threats. He makes promises. That's that's the secret to be, I think, to be a world leader. Don't ever make a threat. Make a promise. If you do this, I will do this. So let's not do that. 
you know, people who make threats, it, it, there's, there's too much bluffing. So don't ever make a threat. Make a promise. I have, I've done that in my career, and it has served me very well. Look, I, I, you know, Glenn, we want you to do this job. Okay, well, I'll do that, but it'll take this. If you do these things, I will. If you don't do these things, I won't. And so the negotiations become very easy because you're never, you're never threatening anything. You're just making a promise. Yeah, I'm in. It's going to require this, this, and this. Um, and then you don't have to worry about, you know, geez, should I ask for more or should I have, you know, should I have asked for less? No, you asked for what it took. What is it going to take? Look at that in, in Syria. What is it going to take? Stop using chemical weapons. And we won't do that. Yeah, kill your people the old-fashioned way, please. Yeah. Let's let's be civilized about this. Stab them. Throw barrels out of helicopters at them, please. Uh, barrel bombs are completely fine. Let's make sure they die in conventional ways. Because we can't take you doing it in this new way. We want you to only murder your own civilians with barrels out of helicopters. It is weird, isn't it? It's a weird stance. I mean, obviously, there's a big picture in which if chemical weapons are used routinely in warfare, it could lead to a lot more death. But, I mean, they've already Germany, murdered hundreds of thousands of their civilians. And we act as if the next, you know, what is it, 60 here? Mm -hmm. 60 uh, is the thing that, that's going to be this line. Well, you know, the other hundreds of thousands are dead. They're not any more alive than the people who died from chemical weapons. And I think there is a legitimate, this is a good test in some ways of the libertarian argument um, of not being involved in these things. Because there's not a, there's not an Im immediate U.S. interest case, per se. So what do you do? You're president of the United States. And I say, President Stu. Mm -hmm. Oh, good God, help us all. Mm -hmm. President Stu, mm -hmm. do we strike or not? <sighs> I, I mean... I think I, I, what I would like is to be there. There's a point of leadership, right? Where, which I would understand. We've talked about this with Obama of leading from behind. Wasn't mm -hmm. that the way he? That's not. That's not necessarily <laughs> that. a way you want to do it. I think you'd want to to make it not just our responsibility. You know, if the, if we're gonna, and I think the strike is limited. Uh, and I, there's not really an easy way to go big, right? You're not looking to take this guy out, really. You're not looking to, to, this is not a regime change operation. It's not even something that Trump is proposing. I think probably the road, and this is the same thing that, that happened with Obama. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a road here, probably the way Trump is doing this, that is the right way. Minus the tweets. I can tell you this, I'm not on Twitter telling Vladimir Putin to look out for missiles. I can tell you that. But I think the, the short-term uh, answer of a limited strike, ideally, with other countries involved in it so it's not just us policing the world yet again at least you know that's that's at least a step what about you well, you're not just hit the music what about you where's you where's president glenn on this i'm doing president. the right thing that you can just guess i agree with the right <laughs> thing because i played music and it's time for commercial president glenn keeps his cards close to his vest <laughs> i'll tell you when we come back First, let me tell you about uh, Mercury Real Estate. If you're selling your home, right now is the right time. Uh, from I think it's April 15th through August 15th is when you really need to sell your home. So how do you do it? Who do you hire? Realestateagentsitrust.com. 
you can help the uh, uh, you can uh, help yourself by by getting the right real estate agent that's not going to give you a lot of excuses and has a track record of selling houses on time and for the most amount of money and also um, uh, has the best uh, marketing plan for your house. We have over a thousand acres uh, agents all over America that are just like you. Their word is their bond. They they are fans of the show. They share your sensibilities. They're fully vetted and handpicked for their knowledge, their skill, and their track record. These are the people in your community that you want selling your home. Thousands of families have already put real estate agents I trust.com to the test. The remark the uh, the uh, results are remarkable, and the results will pay for you as well. Realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're moving to another area, you're taking care of your parents' homes remotely and you now need to sell them, or just helping families get the most for their home as quickly as possible or helping them find a new home, realestateagentsitrust.com is there. Go there now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So, President Glenn. Yes. You've had a nice commercial Why break are you to in my office. <laughs> oh, actually, you have this nice box of donuts, and I'm yeah, really okay, hungry. All right, good. All uh, right. They're delicious. But while mm-hmm. I'm here, what are you going to do with Syria? Uh, I think if I was president today, uh, I would do a couple of things. First of all, Russia is taking this so seriously and has said, we screw it up. We kill any Russian troops. It's the war to end all wars. Uh, I take Putin as a guy uh, who means what he says and says what he means. He's a liar, but when he makes threats, they're not threats, they're promises. So the first thing I do on this one is I go to uh, Congress for uh, at least advice and consent um, and say, look, this is a serious one. This is not just lobbying over. This has serious consequences. So advise and consent. Um, but I, I, I say to the, the people and to the nation, we have a problem of personal responsibility in the world. And you know what? I'm not going to lecture the world. I'm the president of the United States. I am going to lecture us. Nobody's taking personal responsibility for anything anymore. We're not taking personal responsibility of our families, of ourselves, of our jobs, of our economy, of our spending, of our debt. Nothing. Until that's fixed, we'll continue to burn the world down. All of us. Not a country. All of us. Because we're all doing it. As this relates to the rest of the world, the United States is not responsible for you and your neighborhood. You need to stand up. Turkey, do not lecture us about what has to happen. Don't lecture us. They're your neighbors. You need to take care of the bad guys in your neighborhood. When, when you and your neighbors stop wanting us to be your sugar daddy, your protector, and your foil, the world will be a safer place. The United States is going to fulfill its obligations, but we are not the world's policemen. Now, we made a promise that this was a red line. And the United States needs to be understood that when we speak, we mean it. So we're talking to Congress right now. There will be consequences for this. However, the days of the United States being the judge, jury, and executioner. Sorry, 
the police force, judge, jury, and executioner are over. They're over. You all have to pick up your own personal responsibility. And Americans, you have to do the same thing in your life. Because the United States government cannot be a sugar daddy, a policeman, a jury, and the problem. We're out of that business. That's, I think, what I would do. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. All right, so yesterday the stock market was back up, and then uh, President Trump tweeted this morning, and the stock market is uh, set now to open 200 points down. Um, just stop, 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 stop. Please, Mr. President, please I think stop I, with the tweets. I think this time he's going to listen to you. This is gonna it's gonna work out well. But I mean, you know, I I want him to succeed. No, I, I want I, him to succeed. If he fails, we all fail. There's obviously things that uh, that Trump does that help him on Twitter. It's obviously been a big part of the formula of his success, right? I and mean, certainly a big part of the reason why he became president in the first place. You know, you just wish there was there were times in which he considered. Uh, considered it as a cost-benefit analysis instead of just a benefit analysis. There are times that you carry a big stick and you use it. There are other times that you carry a big stick, but you put it in your back pocket and everyone knows you have a big stick. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Everyone knows. Vladimir Putin knows we have a very big stick and we're not afraid to use it. He knows that. There's no reason to, to bully a bully that big. Don't do not do that. It's interesting, too, as it goes back to your conversation with former President George W. Bush in the Oval Office about how each president comes in with a limited amount of options and they kind of will wind up doing the same thing as the president before, even though they'll talk about these big changes in election time. When it comes down to it, they wind up doing the same thing. If you look at, like, for example, Syria as a as three different options, right? You have the do nothing option, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know... You have the go in and invade option, right? And then in the middle, you have a, a wide sort of swath of options uh, called the middle path, where you have drone strikes and miss, cruise missiles and some you know, troops on the ground, maybe a few special forces, mm-hmm. and and maybe there, you know, maybe a few airstrikes. And it's it's kind of seems like that's exactly where both presidents, both Obama and uh, and Trump, will fall. Now Obama did drone strikes in places like Yemen and. We did other things in Libya, Syria. He didn't cross that, you know, famously didn't do this red line um, and wound up out of that category on that particular country. But in general, he landed in the middle on most of those cases as well. But it's really interesting to me that that is the part of the conversation that you remembered because you said, you know, it's it's maybe it's important to remember the conversation you had with George Bush in the Oval Office. And you went there. I went to another part of that. Mm. I said to him, because it was all off the record, and I, I couldn't, I could characterize what he said, but I could not quote the president. And we were talking about the war. And he started rattling off some, some stats and how well the war was going for us and what a route it was in some areas. And I said, Mr. President, this, no, no offense, but... Where is this guy that I'm sitting with? Where is this guy? This is the president that America is wanting to see. 
And he told me a couple of things, but one of them, because he was so clear, you know how he was always like, well, you know, and uh, he wasn't like that at all. He was so clear. And I remember sitting across from him and thinking, I would not want to be on the other end of a negotiating table with this man because he is so clear and laser focused and he, he just exudes strength. And it shocked me. It shocked me. He, does, he never came away, no. away in public. Correct. And, Except right after 9-11, maybe. Yes. Right? Like, yeah, yes. Was he guy. was that guy. Mm. And, um, uh, and so when I said, this is the guy that America needs, he said, when you're president, there are things that you cannot say and cannot do because countries are watching and analyzing Every move I make, every shift of my eyes, every phrase, every word. It's, I'm convinced it's why he always was like, well, and, uh, you know, I uh, have a uh, uh, issue. And you're like, what? <laughs> uh, you know, you were thinking he was looking for a really big word and to be like, and uh, 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 meat. Um, it was because he was, I think it was because he was sorting through all of the repercussions of every word he was saying. It's not a way to live your life, not a way to rule a country. However, Donald Trump is the exact opposite of that. Now we've wanted the opposite of that because we want somebody just to say, here's the truth. But Donald Trump in his tweet this morning is going too far. The truth is, Russia, we have no issue with the Russian people, but you have gotten into bed with really bad men. We are not trying to pick a fight with Russia, but Assad must pay a price for gassing his own people. Have we not learned anything from World War II? That is an acceptable, acceptable tweet because it's saying I'm going to respond. I have to. But it's also petting the cat of the Russian people because Putin is making us into the bad guy with his own people. Let's not be let's not be. Oh, yeah, well, watch this. Let's not do that. And it's just that's one thing that if 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 the president could learn this one thing he would be a much better president. If he could just learn, there are times you must act presidential. And when you're talking about killing people, that certainly is a time for sober words and careful action. I wanna hear from uh, Zach in Pennsylvania. Hello, Zach, welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Stu. I just want to let you know that President Glenn and President Stu will actually get us into a war based upon what you want to do. President Zach, however, I can fix it. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) If I was president, I would go out today and I would give a speech that would remind the American people of something that we once had, and that was called the Monroe Doctrine. And that was the idea that our sphere of influence is our sphere of influence. And that if you enter that sphere of influence, we will respond. But our sphere of influence is not Syria. That is the Russian sphere of influence, or Turkey, or Iran, or Saudi Arabia. As much as I care about 
the Syrian people, and I do. There is no <laughs> difference between if they're killed by gas or by a bomb so or suicide. by a rock yeah. or by a gun. Yeah, there's, there's nothing worse that is occurring in Syria today that isn't occurring in North Korea or 15 or 20 other countries on every single day. More people will die in Mexico today in horrible acts of violence than will die in Syria from gas. And yet somehow we are supposed to go and right every wrong. The yeah. president needs to do something that no president has done. It is a cop-out to say, well, you have to do these things. You don't. He's the president. The Donald Trump could come out tomorrow, today, and say, as much as we care about what occurs in another country, the simple fact is that it is not our business. And we will use sanctions. We will not do business with them. We will pull our forces out just like I wanted to do last week and recognize that what is occurring there is not worth the life of American soldiers. It's not worth the life of your sons and daughters. And that is the risk we are taking when we continue to lob bombs in areas where countries so, are big enough to actually hurt America. So, Zach, I think you're absolutely right. I really do. Uh, but how does uh, let me let me f- clarify one thing you said, you know, the president, uh, you know, can make his own choices. Yes, he can. But that wasn't the point of what George Bush was saying. What George Bush said was he'll sit here and he'll hear the same advice from the same people. So it doesn't matter who sits in this chair, left or right. When it comes to the world, they'll make the same choice, which is why I say shut down the State Department, fumigate, and start all over again. Because it's the same people advising, no matter who's sitting in that chair, and they're convincing every president they have to do that. Now, I agree. So I... I, it is, and I agree with you that we have to change our behavior. I don't agree in our, sp- uh, in our sphere of influence. You're saying that that's the Western Hemisphere. I don't think we have a right to go down to Bolivia or, or, or uh, Brazil and exert ourselves down there either. That has gotten us into trouble. The world is just a smaller place. Our sphere of influence is the United States of America. That's our interest. That's what we're supposed to do. Will we help other people? Will we encourage you? Can we use sanctions? Yes, but we don't do that. Now, here's the question, Zach. Nature abhors a vacuum. You cannot have 100 years of the United States in everybody's business and then just pull down, uh, pull out without understanding that there will be a significant collapse and somebody else will fill that space. That's fine, but are you suggesting you do that overnight? No, of course not, because we have alliances that we have to respect. Part of it, it becomes the president should get on TV and say, we need, Japan needs rearm. The Japanese constitution needs to be changed to allow them to protect themselves without the constant need of the United States. That Europe needs to recognize that although we will forever be there in their defense and aid, they need to be prepared outside of NATO to defend themselves. I went back to school a couple of years ago to get my second doctorate. 
So I, I started studying small towns and communities in a way that would try to solve their problems. And what you learn was that when you come into an area, people will look at a problem and they'll say, we've tried to do it a thousand times. It can't be done. There's nothing else we can do. None of the people will be convinced to do anything else. And what you start to find out is when you, when you start to talk to people, they're able and willing to do things differently. They're able to solve problems in different ways, even if they've been ingrained in a certain way for so long. If you give them options, they'll actually solve the problem that we continue to be stuck in this sense of we have got to solve every problem for every person on the planet. We can't. It's funny you say that. It's it's actually exactly what I thought when I was only on my second doctorate, too. (laughs) We live and learn, you know what I'm saying, Zach? (laughs) Zach, thanks so much for your phone call. He He's right. He is right. He is right on. He's right on this uh, as well. Uh, and that is, I think the American people are willing to try something different. I know I am. Yeah, I'm willing to try something. Different. This is not working. What we're doing. Let's stop doing this because it's not working. I said this to the to you in the break after we initially talked. There's a there's sort of a, a battle between instinct and principle. And I think my my instinct is like this is a terrible thing. These people are suffering. We need to do something about it. It really, my principle has been, and we've talked about this many times on the air. If you're not a hundred percent sure that you need to go, if, if if you're, you heard my response. It was like, well, yeah, I mean, there's this part and there's this part, and I'm divided on it. If you're divided on it, you shouldn't do it. That's the principle. And that's why you have principles because when you're, you know, in a moment where you have a tough decision, you should fall back at them. And that's so I, I you know, rethinking it, I, you know, I kind of am on that idea of like maybe we shouldn't go in. I, I'm gonna go with no, no, and I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. Oh my gosh! What? Well, that I was didn't realize I was broadcasting from the Waffle House. I, well, I, I mean, no. I'm sorry, but uh, I figured when vibes are on the line. No, 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 no. Would you Look, like some my, syrup with those waffles? My fifth doctorate position yes. was I should go in, but my sixth doctorate right. was no. All right, I want to tell you about. Uh, I want to talk to you about Bitcoin just a little bit. I have invested into Bitcoin, and uh, I, I, I honestly. It is so hard to, uh, to, to, to even invest in Bitcoin unless you're using Coinbase. I don't even know. Stu, you remember when we were, you remember when we were meeting with um, uh, the people from Palm Beach? Yeah. Okay. And, and they were like, I'm telling you right now, you need to invest in X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I don't even know what X, Y, and Z. How do you even invest in those things? I, 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 how do you do it? And then the, the explanation is, unless you're an expert... Right. Yeah. Like unless you have someone walking you through every step of the process, you're not going to be able to do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. I I went home and said to my wife, hey, we we need to invest in such and such and such and such. Never did it because my wife got on my wife and I got onto the computer, couldn't figure out how to do it. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a big problem. Okay, so uh, I have no idea what's going to come with Bitcoin. I don't know all of the answers. I don't know hardly any of the answers. I know this. I should learn about this. I need to learn about this. Bitcoin is really volatile and there's a lot of scams out there, but there are also one of these things is going to shake out. So we started looking for some experts, I don't know, six months ago, and we found the Palm Beach Research Group. Uh, Tika Tawari is the guy who came into our office. He's very open, very transparent about who he was, what he believes. Uh, and Stu and I have been reading his his letter now for about, I don't know, four to six months now. 
and I will tell you, it's really, really good. We asked him to create an education course for you that will teach you what you need to know. Whether you invest in it or not, it, it, to me, is up to you. But you need to know how to do it and what it means. How, what, what does all of this means, mean? Because I really believe blockchain is the future. Cryptocurrency is the future. So we've created a course, and I want you to look at this course right now. So go, to, uh, go right now to um, Glenn Beck Course. It's smartcryptocourse.com. It's our Glenn Beck Course, smartcryptocourse.com. Do it now. Learn what you need to learn about cryptocurrency, smartcryptocourse.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Welcome to the uh, program. You want to change the world. You have to change the way we think. And right now we're into groupthink. And we need to start thinking again as individuals and doing the right thing. We have a guy who has lived this principle, put it into practice, and I think is changing the world. And he does it without a Superman cape. He does it... Uh, quietly. We're going to introduce you to him next. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Tax season is here, and identity th- thieves are at it again. According to the IRS, they're now filing fake tax returns with stolen personal information like social security numbers. We're all vulnerable, but the Southwest is a particularly bad region for identity theft, with Nevada being the worst state. And while tax fraud is on the top of the mind right now, remember, identity theft can affect Americans year-round. There's so many threats in today's connected world, and it takes just one weak link for criminals to get in. Good thing new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton Security to help protect you against threats to your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. This is stuff you got to have. If you have a problem, they have agents who will work to fix it for you. No one can stop every cyber threat, prevent all identity theft, or monitor transactions at all businesses. But new LifeLock with Norton Security is able to uncover threats you might otherwise miss. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use promo code BACK and get 10% off your first year. It's promo code BACK for an additional 10% off at LifeLock.com. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. The silence has begun to dissipate as you rise from your seat a commotion is approaching and you can hear it suddenly the room burst up with activity as the president paces through the doorway assertive in his mumbling a fresh disaster on his mind last night roughly six thousand miles from where you're standing right now in a maelstrom of a war-fueled morning women and children fled to hospitals After the latest round of bombings, only this time, many of them were foaming at the mouth, clenching uh, at their eyes, hunched over, gasping, twitching, sobbing, helpless. Some of them were unconscious. Some of them were dead. You're standing there in that room and you hear somebody say they must have used something stronger, uh, used some sort of stronger chlorine this time because it's serious. They used something else, something more deadly. This 
had to be the world of U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. Faced with the news of war crimes and murdered children, what was she going to do? Indignation roils up in a careful way. Maybe we call it poise or grace or something deeper or calmer. Either way, she does it without losing the unmitigated fury of an American at the helm of a ship of dangerous waters. Her speech to the U.N. has largely, and to be fair, sometimes understandably, been buried under a news of meaningless stories. But it deserves attention. Listen. Who does this? Only a monster does this. Only a monster targets civilians and then ensures that there are no ambulances to transfer the wounded. No hospitals to save their lives. No doctors or medicine to ease their pain. I could hold up pictures of all of this killing and suffering for the council to see. But what would be the point? The monster who was responsible for these attacks has no conscience. Not even to be shocked by pictures of dead children. The Russian regime, whose hands are all covered in the blood of Syrian children, cannot be ashamed by pictures of its victims. We've tried that before. Every sentence she says rings with a barbed intensity unimpeded. She is calm and outraged, but I can't help but think, but why are these children different than the ones who are dying or being tortured in concentration camps in North Korea? Why are these children different than the ones that are poor and starving in South America or South Africa? Why are these children different than the ones on our own border that are being brutally killed by drug lords? But there is one line that she says that sticks out. The Russian regime whose hands are all covered in blood, in the blood of children, cannot be ashamed. It echoed again through the auditorium of diplomats. And the silence returned. It's Wednesday, April 11th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So we should mention uh, some breaking news uh, today that Paul Ryan is not going to seek re-election. Uh, and this is not him stepping down from the speakership. It's him not running for re-election to Congress. So uh, his seat certainly was not uh, not really in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably would have won re-election easily, as he has for a long time. But he, the speakership could have been a problem for him. And plus, it looks you know, increasingly likely that he would be minority speaker rather than majority speaker. And that's not a fun place to be. So that's the speculation as to why he's bailing. So here's the uh, here's the thing. I, I mean, I have uh, I have I've given up on politics because I think it's just gonna, it's just we keep playing this thing over and over and over again and expecting uh, different outcomes. And it seems to be the same outcome. And I, I'm more of a believer in the individual and the individual going out and doing something and just saying, you know what, I. I don't care what people tell me I can or can't do. I don't care if they tell me that it's uh, ridiculous because it's not. 
if we just decide to do it. I want to introduce you to a guy, Bob Goff, who I think has a similar attitude. Uh, welcome, Bob. How are you? Thanks a million for having me on. You Good bet. to be with you. Um, you're a you're an attorney from uh, San Diego area. Yes, thirty years. Uh, and you are a best selling author now. Um, you have a new book out called uh, Everybody Always, uh, and, but your last one was Love Does. Um, I, I want you to I want you to give the audience for anybody who doesn't know you a, a sense of who you are and start with. Start with the the fact that you have no television in your house and <laughs> what happened on September 11th in your house with your children. Yeah, well, I was uh, practicing law. Uh, had I can't tell you about me without telling you about the yeah. sweet Maria Goff, my bride of 33 years. Uh, and then we have three kids. And this whole idea of uh, living a purposeful life, like we're confronted with so much mm-hmm. information, so much tragedy around us. One of the things that I've uh, decided to do is I was just going to start with my family. And so we decided uh, to get rid of the television. And when the uh, when September 11th happened, I came home and I told the kids that there's something horrible that happened in the country. And, and we sat around this table that we have in the kitchen. And, uh, and I said, if you had five minutes in front of a leader in the world, uh, what would you say to them? And I love my, my son was seven at the time. He said, you know what? I'd invite them over. For a sleepover, and that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, it does. <laughs> put their hand in the goldfish bowl, see if it makes them pee, <laughs> and it works. So, uh, my uh, uh, nine-year-old said, "I would ask them what they're hoping in, um, because I would say, like, if you find out what people are hoping for, you find out a lot more about them." And then our eleven-year-old, she was the precocious one. She said, "I would say this: if they couldn't come over for the sleepover, I would ask this leader if we could come over to their house." and do an interview and ask them, what are you hoping for? And get a message of hope to pass on to another leader. So we downloaded the CIA website. We felt like we were hacking into NORAD. We got the (laughs) name of every leader in every country, figured out their addresses and wrote them. And we got a post office box because we did not want Ahmadinejad to know where we live. And so, <laughs> and so we sent all these letters. And after school every day, we would go over and so they would get the mail out. And the kids would be in the back seat. They would ask me about these countries. I'm like, I don't know. That's east of here, apparently. So, <laughs> but we always got the most pleasant nose. And it was Tony Blair at the time. He said, like, like jolly good show. Like, forget mm. it. But jolly good show about <laughs> right. the meetup. Um, but then they got the leader of Bulgaria. He wrote to them and he said, if you'll come to the palace, uh, in Sofia, I'll give you your interview. And then, then the prime minister of Switzerland said, if you'll come to Bern, I'll give you your interview. And then the president of Israel said, if you'll come to Jerusalem, I'll give you, we got 19 yeses. So I pulled the kids out of school. Their teachers had a cow. I'm like, sue me. (laughs) So there's something just really beautiful about that. And I love that it's this idea of a childlike faith. Like that idea that uh, look to your kids. You want to like do something awesome for the world? Plug into your family. Because you would, would as an adult, and the older you get, the secret to staying young. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, come to me as a child. Oh, bingo. Yeah. I mean, it's just you still believe you have haven't been worn down by the world to say it won't work yeah it won't work. and if you've been convinced that it won't work get a puppy like literally just 
<laughs> no, you no, because can... then I'm convinced. Uh, you know, potty training doesn't yes, work. <laughs> I worked it right in the middle of yeah. that. The only thing our dog has missed is the lawn so far. But, <laughs> but one of the things that uh, let the children kind of lead us, and let uh, we're seeing that in society. We see that over and over. Go do that with your family. So we went, and uh, we would go into. There's this uh, one uh, uh, country they had. Uh, just been involved in all kinds of stuff. And uh, the leader walks in and he said, children, you know, I'm more nervous meeting with you than mm -hmm. if I was meeting with the president of the United States right now. And then he said, and when I get nervous, I get hungry. And he claps his hand and all these servants come in with like jars of candy and ice oh cream. It's just really beautiful. There's something about this idea of leading with love. And it takes a childlike faith together, not childish, because most of us guys have childish yeah, nails, yeah, yeah, yeah. but childlike to just remain hopeful, even in the face of overwhelming difficulties. One of the places you went to was Uganda, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, we've done some stuff in Uganda because there's, there, there's still sacrifices. I've heard. Yeah, hu human sacrifices in Uganda with these witch doctors, and they kidnap children and sacrifice them and it's it's horrifying it's horrifying and you stop it in one place and then it pops up in another place because it's still part of their culture but you being an attorney you found that for a long time there wasn't a law but then like three years before you got there they had passed a law to stop all this but nobody was enforcing it is yeah. that right yeah that's it yeah. because people are afraid like the judges were afraid everybody was afraid but it just takes uh, courageous people to make big change like that idea to just, and we don't measure, like God doesn't compare our leaps. Just, uh, I would say for everybody listening, make your next courageous step, whatever that is. And so for me, I was a lawyer, knew how to try cases. And um, the problem with this child sacrifice, there's always a victim, but they're always dead. Uh, and it all changed a couple of years ago. A little boy, we'll just say his name is Charlie, he's walking home from school and gets abducted by the leader of all of these witch doctors. And they uh, do, do, they try to do this sacrifice. They cut off all of his private parts and leave him for dead. But the oh kid doesn't die. So for the first time, we had a victim who survived. We've got the witch doctor. So I asked, could we try Uganda's first death penalty case? Uh, and they said, uh, you will never get a judge who will touch that. Uh, but then we found a judge. And we tried the case. And the word of this conviction went to 41 million people. And here was the message. You touch a kid. It's over. There's something beautiful about that idea of like, there's no love without justice, but there's also no justice without love. So after this conviction happens, the boy is all torn up. This attack happens with a machete. A doctor oh in Los Angeles, here's what happened. And he calls me up at home. He said, Bob, I, I heard what happened to this little kid and I can fix him. And I'm like, buddy, you didn't hear what got cut off. You can't fix that. And he said, I'm the chief of surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Center. I can fix him. And I said, what? So oh. I drive up to Los Angeles. He takes out a piece of paper and he starts drawing out what he's going to do, which is way too much information. <laughs> and, and I asked him, like, they find that at TSA, I'm going to jail. And, and I said, how much would that cost? And he said, it'd be staggering, but I'll do it for nothing. I'm like, I can afford nothing. So I fly back to Uganda. We find the little boy in the bush. And my first stop is court and become his legal guardian. And we're flying 
back uh, for this operation, and I get off the plane in London, and, and he, he's holding hand. He says, Father, could we just walk the rest of the way? I'm like, oh, buddy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I open up my laptop to see if there's uh, any messages in there. This is the time when Obama's in office, yeah. and, and there's a message in there. It says, White House. And the message is really short. It just says, we'd like to meet Charlie. And I thought it was some of my friends, guy, yeah, friends like yeah, you yeah. guys, that would just like pull a fast <laughs> one. And, uh, and it's legit. And this kid that was standing in the bush in Uganda is now standing in the Oval Office. And I think like, why does that happen? And here's the deal. It's that childlike faith. And no matter what age you are, you can actually start thinking about what might be possible. And I just want to continue to live into that, even against the, all of the horrific things that are going on, to remain hopeful and engaged. Not okay. just put smiley faces on, but just say, yeah. like, so what's my next step? So what's my next leap? Here's the thing that, mm-hmm. I, 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 that I think of all the time. If I, if I have cancer, for instance, go to a doctor over and over and over again. This happens to people all the time. They, something's wrong, but the doctors can't find it. If that's happened to you, you get to a point where you're like, I don't care if it's cancer. I just want to know, you know, and I think there is hope when when there is knowledge that there is something you can do that whether it works or not is unknown. But once you know, I I have no hope in a doctor who says, oh, you know, it's just a little spot on your lung and, uh, you know, it's nothing. And he knows it's cancer. Don't tell me that I'm I'm hopeless. Tell me that it's cancer and I can find hope. We have to we have to not just be the putting smiley faces on things and going, oh, no, it's not so bad. It is. It's bad. It's bad. But now take us from it's bad to how to find that hopeful place when we come back. Name of the book is uh, Everybody Always by Bob Goff, G-O-F-F, Bob Goff. We continue in just a second. Want to thank our sponsor uh, for making this portion of the program possible, and that is Casper. There is a new way to get to sleep at night, and that's on a Casper mattress. The engineers at Casper have really worked hard on this. They've made an exceptionally comfortable uh, bed experience. You're going to get a great night's sleep. It will become your favorite mattress. Honestly, I go to other places. I'll stay in a hotel, and I have a hard time sleeping because it's not my Casper, and it is a great bed. The Wave mattress has a remarkable technology that's built into it. It's engineered to relieve pressure at 36 different points in your body. The Casper mattress, more breathable, more comfortable than ever, loved by nearly a million customers now nationwide. It's the essential mattress that is um, uh, that is on the cutting edge of innovation and a great price point. You need a good mattress. You need to be able to get some sleep, but you also need to be able to afford it. That's why you need to go to Casper.com right now. It's Casper.com. Use the promo code BECK. You can try it out in your own home for 100 nights. If you don't love it, just call them, and they'll come and pick it back up, and, and they'll refund every dime. Casper.com. Use the promo code BECK. Save $50 on the purchase of select mattresses. That's Casper.com. Promo code BECK. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. We're with Bob Goff, an amazing uh, man. Uh, not a 
you know, not a Tony Robbins kind of guy who makes his living uh, being a motivational speaker, but is truly motivational in everything that I've ever seen him uh, in because it's uh, he's infectious. Courage is contagious. And so is hope. Uh, And uh, and Bob just made the point that we 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 need to find hope. So how do you do that? How do you find real hope uh, in a sea of despair? Yeah, I I uh, know a simple answer for anything, but the first thing that sprung to my mind is it's a life of engagement and that idea of engaging the people around you, engaging the issues around you, but not necessarily with the petition, engage it with everything you've got, with your love, with your hope, with your energy, find these things. So we were talking about uh, a wrong that was done in Uganda, engage. If you're good as a lawyer, go do a bunch of that. If you're good at loving people, go do a bunch of that. I don't want people to meet just my opinions. I don't want them to actually meet me. And the way to meet me is to be curious about them. So you, when you sat down, I told you, you passed a test that almost no one passes. I think there's maybe been two people. And we've had great people in a career of 40 years. I've had great people around um, that I've interviewed. I think... I can honestly say two, maybe there's been five that have walked into the room, said hello to me, and then said hello to Stu or the other people on the air. But then the important thing, looked at the people who are holding the camera, doing the makeup, introducing yourself, looking them in the eye and engaging with them. That rarely happens. Rarely. Mm. Uh, It's sad, but it's to me, it's a test of who are you really? Uh, and, and you pass that. And from, from what I understand, you were out in the green room and you were out in the hallway and you were having conversations. You came in here and you started looking around. You're very observant, uh, which I think kind of passes all of us by sometimes. We just kind of, we just engage in the moment and do what we have to do with that person. Yeah, I think each of us are looking for these same things in our life, like love and purpose and connection and then authentic relationships. And if we just start skipping across the desk, uh, we just turn our life into a bunch of transactions. And I just don't want to be, I'm not a touchy feely guy. I'm a trial lawyer. Um, but you I want to have seem like a trial. <laughs> Isn't that a, I'm the only guy trying a hundred million dollar case with a Mickey mouse watch, um, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it'll be the third month of the trial. And somebody in the box will say Mickey mouse watch. I'm like, I just won. Um, (laughs) this whole idea this overarching idea that we'll be known for our opinions but remembered for our love so i think we need to each ask like what are we going to be remembered for okay so i want to i mean i could spend a day with you but i want to come back here in a second and and show me how you remain optimistic as a trial lawyer i can't think of a worse job I can't, yeah. I can't think of a worse job. You're surrounded by dirt bags, lying, the system, and yet you hold it. So give me some some real life examples. Well, I would say it's... Wait, wait, when we come back. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Program. Welcome back. We are talking to an incredible guy I could spend the day with, and he's just invited me to go TP some houses uh, for the rest of the day. Uh, his name is uh, Bob Goff. 
the author of uh, Everybody Always, um, and one of the happier guys that I think I've ever met. And you're a trial attorney, um, and I wanted to, I want to get into that, but we're going to run out of time. So let's start with one of your philosophies. Uh, where the, one of the things that you take away from the Jesus story, and that is, tell no one. Yes, I love that big moment. It's this Simon Peter, you know, Jesus says, who am I? And says, some say you're a teacher. And actually, he was an awesome teacher. Yeah, and some say you're a prophet. And he was actually an awesome prophet. And then he, Simon Peter says, you're God. And Jesus said, you nailed it. Uh, but I love that he said, flesh and blood doesn't reveal that to you, but the spirit. And we've got a lot of people where faith is important to them. And they're trying to like do the spirit's work. Like just... They're trying to tell everybody what Jesus is. Two verses later, he says, tell no one. (laughs) I love that. I don't think it's supposed to be a secret. I think he means show them, don't tell them. So show people what you believe. We'll know what we believe when everybody sees what we do. I don't care which is somebody says, I got a lot of things I believe, but see what I do. See what you do. You're doing this. You're just spreading a lot of hope for people. So you are, uh, so, but but do you set out? to you know another another jesus thing and it kind of reminds me of you pay no attention to what's going to happen tomorrow don't worry about tomorrow don't worry about where you're going to lay your head don't worry about any of it just go do it that seems to be your mantra exactly yeah yeah so know why you're doing what you're doing so for instance uh i'm married we got three kids two of them are two of those are married and i want to be a grandpa like what more than the worst thing in the whole, I just is, want that so bad. I, I'm expecting, they're not expecting, yeah, I'm expecting <laughs> right, every right. day. My son actually with his uh, wife went to Hawaii. He said it rained all week. I'm like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> more wine to the cabana. Um, so, so one of the things, if you know why you're doing what you're doing, and I just want to be, we were talking about being available. So I put my cell phone number in the back of a couple million books and I get a hundred calls a day. It is I can't legitimately, get a- legitimately the last sentence of, of the book. It talks about, if you ever want to talk about any of the ideas, my phone number is, give me a call sometime if I can be helpful. Isn't that awesome? It's just been so crazy. People don't follow vision. They follow availability. And I'm never the smartest guy in the room, particularly right now, but I can be the most available guy in the room. And so if you know why you're doing what you're doing, how do you do that? I just get constantly interrupted. Like literally just constantly. (laughs) Jesus was constantly interrupted. People are tugging on his shirt, calling his name from trees. Like they just... Uh, just live a life with constant interruptions. And what it reminds me over and over again is not to be efficient in the way that I love people, but to be extravagant. That was one of the hallmarks that Jesus had. What does that mean? Extravagant love. Just not giving people a little bit, just give them your best. I got, we uh, took all the money from Love Does and just gave it all away. And so we've been going around building schools in countries. So, which cracks me up because my worst subject in school was school. Um, (laughs) But we're actually pretty good at starting them. So we've got one in Uganda, one in Iraq, one in Somalia. Uh, we've got one going into a country that doesn't do that. <laughs> That's in two weeks. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Restart- <laughs> I'll check back in with you in three. So one of the whole ideas is to fail trying. Don't fail watching anymore. Fail trying. So if you see something, don't just identify with that, but to just say, what's my piece in that? We had guys on yesterday. They're up in uh, uh, Indianapolis. And they had potholes in their town, 
and they were reading, you know, they knew how bad it was, and they were reading in the newspaper that the state couldn't afford it, the city couldn't afford it, it was $700 billion or whatever to fix all the potholes. So they went to, they took 50 bucks, they went to the hardware store, they bought asphalt, and they just started fixing potholes. Done. Right. And what is amazing about this is so far, the city knows about it and hasn't stopped them. Immedi- I would think immediately, oh, you're, they're going to come. They just didn't stop. They just went out and did it. Yeah. But they're I in their that. 20s, too. <laughs> they yeah. haven't lived a life of, don't do that. Yes. Yeah. What if the, uh, as you're constantly thinking uh, about what do you want to be remembered for? And I just want to be remembered for somebody who is engaged. And here's the crazy part. Like, God isn't dazzled when you go across an ocean. He's wowed when you go across the street. When this idea of loving your neighbor, I don't think it's just a metaphor for something else. I think it actually means love your neighbor. We've we've got a mailman on our block. He's lousy at it. He's not a detail guy. So we, <laughs> so we get everybody else's. Actually, one of my neighbors was getting audited. I had to bring it over. I'm like, stinks to be you. So, so well, Art, after 20 long years, finally said he was going to retire. I'm like, Praise the Lord. And so <laughs> we decided to make him the grand marshal of our parade. We have a parade on our block. Our block's only, you know, 10 houses long on each side. And so uh, 800 people showed up to see Art, to let him know just how much they loved him, even though he's a lousy mailman. Everybody in the whole community knew it. And we got a convertible. We filled it full of envelopes. We just said, Art, just throw them in the air. Do what you do every day. <laughs> and there was such an outpouring <laughs> of love right <laughs> towards this guy. He called me up the next day and said, Bob, I'm coming out of retirement. I'm like, oh, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but what will happen when people know that they're loved, when they actually know that they're respected, this idea of being ready to make a defense for the hope that's within you doesn't mean to point bony fingers at people. They forget the last sentence that says with gentleness and respect. And if we could just treat people with gentleness and respect, knowing that you've got beautiful things in your life and God might be doing something different in your life than my life. Last Saturday, there was a wedding planner that was praying for sunshine and there was a farmer praying for rain, Mm -hmm. right? And just to assume that God's up to different things in other people's lives and be a little bit more patient with them as we're getting there. Uh, But to do the things we can uh, hope for a lot of things, but hope on the move. People say like love's a verb. I think hope is, I don't know about my grammar, but I'll tell you (laughs) hope on the move is unstoppable. That's what your, your guys were doing with the potholes. They're saying that's hope on the move. I'm not waiting for permission. Your life is your permission. Somebody like birthed you and said, go now go do beautiful, immense things, but do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, I can try death penalty cases against witch doctors, but that old whole idea of loving your neighbor and loving the people love your enemy, right? So after the trial, I started meeting with witch doctors. I sent out word on the Bush radio that the consul general for Uganda is here and I command every witch doctor to meet with me. Glenn, they came. I've met with a thousand witch doctors and they are creepy. They make make dolls that look like me and stick stuff in it. (laughs) No wonder I always have a headache. And uh, so I asked these guys, what do you need? And they said, we don't know how to read or write. So get this. I started a witch doctor school. (laughs) We don't teach them how to be witch doctors. They already know. We teach them how to read and write. And the only books we have in witch doctor school are the Bible and love does. And so this whole idea, you should see our graduation ceremonies. I mean, they're awesome. I 
bet. It's yeah. Unique. So I grab each of these witch doctors by the face and I give them a kiss on the forehead. <laughs> I want to be every witch doctor's first kiss. And, and <laughs> I just whispered to them, like, like, do good. Like, live your life in a way. Uh, he, they're already the leaders in the community. Live a life in a way that gives great honor and respect to people. Okay, so now I want you to just, 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 just take this back here as I understand this story. Here's a guy I introduced to you 40 minutes ago, and it started at his table with his children on September 11th. They wrote a letter. Uh, he first asked, what would you say to the world leaders? They respond. Most people would stop there. He said, let's write and let's invite them to come here. Or we'll go there and interview them and find out what they hope for. Uh, and uh, 20, no, 19 of them said yes. Most people would go, okay, well, we're not going to. They went to all 19. Yeah. Went to all 19, <laughs> interviewed. While he was in Uganda, finds problems. He's an attorney. Says, well, maybe I can just help. He starts to help. They invite you to be the, they invite you, you think, to be counsel, meaning they wanted you to be a counselor and an attorney there, but you're actually the ambassador, not of, uh, from, uh, to the, wait, you're not the ambassador from the United States to Uganda. You're the Ugandan ambassador to America, right? The consul, yes. Consul, okay. And so now you are educating witch doctors and teaching them how to do good. That's a remarkable 15 years. What if you just live a life engaged? And it wouldn't be any different than other people. Like this whole idea of living an engaged life. We're not graded on a curve. Just engage the people around you. Engage the people you love. But engage them with love. Like uh, engage them with that childlike faith. Then to see what happened, we would finish each interview with these world leaders and they care. What do you bring to some of these guys? Like uh, some places the chocolate would melt. And so the kids brought the key to our front door and they gave it to them in a little box. And, and we, they, they said, you know, we came over to your house. If you ever want to come to our house, here's the key to the front door. And you know what? Somebody, I'm not going to tell you who, but they, uh, emailed, uh, from the embassy to our kids because it's they don't have my email address. It's the kids doing this, and they said we'd like to use our key, and they did. Oh, you're kidding! That whole idea <laughs> just engage people, see what will happen. Do a cannibal. Don't put your toe in the water. Grab your knees, and then just see what will happen. Start with your family. Let these concentric rings go out. If faith is a big deal, do do it because faith's a big deal for you. But don't try to talk everybody into it. Let let God will let people. Uh, know that he's around because he's there. Like it'll just continue to continue to reveal himself and not in mystical ways. It'll just be by meeting loving people. So I want to be that guy and I'm trying and I'm not quite there. Uh, I always get my first call. It's always five in the morning from some dude in Atlanta because it's eight in the morning there and it's five in San Diego. I got my last call at midnight from two witch doctors in witch doctor school. And they said, uh, a little boy's been abducted, and this new witch doctor's taken him into the bush for a child sacrifice, but we know where he is. Should we go get the kid? And I'm standing on my bed in my boxers, yelling into the phone. I'm like, get the kid! And, and four hours later, I get a text message from these two guys that used to be bad guys, and they said, we've rescued the child. He's with his mother. And the last two words of the text message, love does. I've spent my whole life avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. And I've just decided I'm just not going to avoid people anymore. I'm going to engage the people who creep me out.
I'm not going to just avoid them, but I'm not going to engage them. Is that what them. this interview is all about? Yeah. You're engaging yeah. people. No. Oh, you want to know something great? The cover of uh, Everybody Always looks yeah. like a bunch of balloons. Yeah. I flew over to Uganda after, you know what it's like when you get a book cover and they yeah, send yeah, you all yeah. these samples. They all look hokey. So I flew over to Uganda. I got the witch doctors to p- make the cover out of their fingerprints. <laughs> Wow. Uh-huh. wow. Isn't that terrific? But engage people. And they're like, what's this about? I'm like, well, actually, I'm going to go write a book about loving people and loving the people who creep you out. And you guys used to creep me out a lot. You still creep a lot of people out. But, I, but I'm learning from you. You're actually teaching me more about love because I'm learning about you and your life. And I see who you're becoming, not who you used to be. And it's starting to change me. They've actually taught me. I don't know if I've taught them anything. They're teaching me a ton. I have to tell you, Bob, and I don't know if you take this as a compliment or not, but I have worked with, uh, or I have been around and worked with some of the uh, biggest uh, spiritual leaders of multiple faiths uh, in the last 20 years. Um, and, and, and have met the worst and the best. Uh, Billy Graham, one of the best. I won't list some of the worst. You may be the best preacher I've ever met. And it's not because you're preaching. It's because you're doing it. And that's the secret. If we just stop preaching to each other and we stop uh, trying to get each other baptized or trying to fix everybody's life by selling you X, Y, or Z, just just live it yourself. It, 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 people change. Isn't that people crazy change. how that works? Like, you know why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, I dressed up uh, to come visit with you by, by taking off my baseball cap. I wear this uh, Boston Red Sox hat, not because I'm a Red Sox fan. Uh, I haven't even gone to a baseball game. But <laughs> one of the reasons I wear it, my neighbor across the street was a big Red Sox fan, and she was going to be with Jesus by the end of the week. So we made a deal. I said, I will wear your Red Sox hat for the rest of my life and represent the Sox here. But every time Jesus walks by you, you need to mention my name. (laughs) There's this verse of Matthew that says, I knew you not. I'm like, Carol. (laughs) So if you know why you're doing what you're doing, why you're engaging people in conversation, why you're doing this, it'll give a lot of clarity to your life. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much for having me, for making me feel so welcome, and for spreading a lot of joy and hope to people. Thank you. Uh, Bob Goff, everybody always. If that doesn't sell everyone in this audience uh, on buying this book, I don't know what uh, what would. Boy, uh, one of my favorite interviews of all time. Thank you, Bob. Good being with you. Thank you. You All right, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. Uh, blinds.com blinds.com the best at what they do um marlene who's a listener of ours uh, i think she's up in ohio she said blinds.com the best customer service i've ever experienced glenn the customer service representatives were so knowledgeable about everything that i was looking at they took a lot of time with me on the selection of color and everything else and they were easy to install thank you thank you thank you Blinds.com, the perfect blind shade, shutters, or drapes. You can upgrade your home for less than almost any other home improvement that you can uh, think of. And you're going to get free samples, free shipping, free design consultation. Plus, they're going to guide you through the installation step-by-step. You can find out yourself why 20 million Americans have trusted Blinds.com to upgrade their home, making them the number one retailer of custom window coverings. Uh, And now through April 22nd, you can get a guaranteed 20% off when you go to blinds.com slash Beck. That's blinds.com slash Beck. 
Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. I don't think I've, I've, I've rarely met a man like that. And especially a, a, a man who gives out his, his own cell phone number in the end of his book and says, just call me. And he means it. I mean, it's the same phone number that he gave out in his last book. And he still has the self five times in the makeup chair. People called him. Just randomly from around just the country. Ran- it's legitimately in the back of his book. That's great. We're going to call him before the end of the show. Just see if he takes <laughs> our call. That's crazy. Bob Goff. Look him up. Uh, listen to his, his talks on uh, at TED Talks. Uh, and uh, grab his book. Remarkable. We live our life the way he lives his life. The whole world changes. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Who knows? Maybe it's just that the media is tired of reporting on high school students going on marches. Maybe they're just tired of, of people that are taking issues and making them political in school. But somehow or another, I doubt that. Something tells me that there is an ideological bent to the quiet, the total silence. Shh, shh, listen. Not a word about the pro-life march happening right now in America. What? You haven't heard about it? How's that possible? Students at more than 200 schools around the country are joining in. Sure, over the last week, with the chaos of Syria and Facebook and the FBI raids, there is a, oh, a, a larger trove of newsworthy content, I guess. So, so media has moved on from the Parkland shooting and the, the uh, consequent m- m- month-long parade of anti-gun mania, right? Well, they really haven't, and it hasn't stopped the media from reporting on Planned Parenthood or the Women's March. The pro-life nonprofit Family Research Council has encouraged students to join the march. In a statement, the group contrasted the nationwide outrage and media coverage, and yes, there is an overlap that followed the Parkland shooting, resulting in the March 14th walkout. They say, quote, prior to the March 14th walkout, Julian Benzel, a history teacher at Rockland High School in Sacramento, California, started a discussion among her students as to whether school officials would allow students time out of the class for a demonstration to raise awareness about the lives lost to abortion. As a result of the discussion she initiated, Benzel was placed on administrative leave for two days, likely only reinstated because of the widespread backlash over her suspension. Hmm. So, why the silence today? Kids today are standing up for life. Kids today are taking on their own administration, which the media said was so very important and courageous and worth covering. But the media has failed its test, as it does day after day. But there is hope in the country because there are those people who are willing to be grossly outnumbered, mocked, ridiculed, called names. Because they'll stand 
for what is right. It's Wednesday, April 11th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So it was a little bit awkward yesterday, occasionally tense. It was kind of funny, sort of dramatic, then really awkward again. There were times that I screamed at the screen. There were times I just shook my head in disbelief. It was almost as entertaining as the movie about Facebook, Facebook, the social network, except it was twice as long, uh, had really bad lighting, and there were way more old people uh, in yesterday's episode. It was Mark Zuckerberg testifying in front of Congress yesterday, and uh, I'm not sure what he was doing. Are you still... Not sure what he was doing. I mean, what was he doing? Did you hear him when he was asked, are you responsible for the content? Yeah. And he said, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I think he was saying that and the buck stops here, right? Which is what we would want him to, yeah, to say. Except every attorney, every attorney, anybody who is, I mean, how many pictures have been posted that are copywritten pictures? Right. How right. many, how many times have people posted something that has a copyright or a trademark and you can't do that? How many times has somebody posted something completely irresponsible since we began this monologue with, you know, 1.2 billion users? You can't keep up with that. No, of that's course a not. lawsuit that that's that that could bankrupt Facebook. Yeah, I think his general point was we have to do more. I think I think you can make a legitimate argument. It's really not their fault at all about these data breaches. I think you can make a legitimate argument. And it's one that I don't know if I'm CEO of Facebook, I might make. I certainly would make arguments like, you know, I'd sit down and I'd say, hey, um, I, thanks a lot for asking me these questions, but it's none of your freaking business. You know what? It's none of your freaking business. I run a private company. Get out of my face. That's the real answer to, to politicians when they come peering their, you know, they're, they're trying to get their grubby hands on his business and they want to regulate it. And he was like, well, my attitude is that uh, we're not against regulation. We're against uh, bad regulation, but we're fine with the good stuff. You know, there is no good stuff. There is no good stuff. Um, you know, and that's, I think, one of those situations where he needs, I would have wanted to be. And I'm sure he wanted to be a little bit more aggressive, but he stay, stayed back. Well, for example, like for the uh, the data, uh, they gave, they had an agreement that you signed to get on Facebook. Then you agree to share your data with the third party uh, app. Facebook has an agreement with the third party app that says don't share your data outside of the uses that we've agreed with. Then that third party shared it with another company. That's the breach. It wasn't Facebook's breach. It was the third party's breach. Now, his answer to that is like, well, you know, we should be responsible. We should be holding these people no. up to more. In reality, I think he could have made a legitimate argument that that was not his fault at all. Uh, a le- no, no, I don't even think make a legitimate argument. I think let, let me just t- take this with another product or service. You go and you buy a truck. You have an unspoken agreement that the truck is going to be used the way trucks were built to use. You buy the truck from the dealership. It's a GM truck. You then go take that and you drive that truck through a crowd. Is the dealership responsible? Or is the truck, is GM responsible? No. Right. And they didn't even have a contract saying, hey, 
I won't drive this truck through a crowd and kill people. That's just implied. This one, there was a contract. <laughs> you, not the Facebook thing that everybody just clicks on. One where it was, hey, will you share your information with this company? Yes. So you said yes. Then the company, they clicked, I won't share it with anybody else. But they did. They're the driver of the truck. How is Facebook responsible? I, I think you're totally right. And what, what Zuckerberg's argument yesterday was, was, look, we probably shouldn't be selling trucks to people who might uh, dr- drive into crowds. Well, how the hell do you know that? Minority report. Yeah, and that's that seems to be the road they're going down. He's talking about how AI is going to be implemented within, they think, five years to eliminate hate speech. But listen to what, <laughs> what listen the to hell this. does that mean? Here's Zuckerberg talking to Ben Sass, who says, can you define hate speech? Listen to this. You may decide, or Facebook may decide, it needs to police a whole bunch of speech um, that I think America might be better off not having policed by one company that has a really big and powerful platform. Can you define hate speech? Senator, I think that this is a really hard question. And I think it's one of the reasons why we struggle with it. There are certain definitions that, that, we, that we have around um, you know, calling for, for violence or... Um, Let's just agree on that. If somebody's calling yeah. for violence, we, that shouldn't be there. I'm worried about the psychological categories around speech. There are some really passionately held views about the abortion issue on this panel today. Can you imagine a world uh, where you might decide that pro-lifers are prohibited from speaking about their abortion views on your content, on your platform? I certainly would not want that to be the case. But it, it might really be unsettling to people who've had an abortion to have an open debate about that, wouldn't it? It might be, but I don't think that that would uh, would fit any of the definitions of of, of what we have. Now, um, the, the the Ted Cruz asked him about Planned Parenthood. Asked him, you know, have they ever been have they ever been banned? Are you doing anything on pro life? Have you ever kicked any pro life people off? Zuckerberg is in, he doesn't have a real definition of hate speech. And here's the problem. Do not fear AI. Don't fear AI. There's no reason to fear AI. Fear the goals that AI is given. So you have Mark Zuckerberg. Well, we're going to have AI and it's going to, it's going to police hate speech. Okay. That sounds, well, spooky to me, but I guess good to some. But sounds really spooky to me. How do you define hate speech? Well, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, you know, calling for violence. Okay, all right. How do you define hate speech? What are you teaching AI? You can't come to me and say, hey, well, AI is going to take care of a lot of this. And then tell me you don't really know what hate speech is. Define it. What is it you're putting into the program? What are you teaching AI is hate speech? Right. I mean, we can't decide on that. The Atlantic can't. It disagrees with itself that first they're hiring for a salary, Kevin Williamson. The next day they're firing him. Because they think he's engaged in hate speech. This is one organization. They can't even make up their own mind about one person in his commentary. Here's Ted Cruz going up against Zuckerberg on this. Do you know of those 15 to 20,000 people engaged in content review? How many, if any, have ever supported financially a Republican candidate for office? 
Senator, I do not know that. Your testimony says it is not enough that we just connect people. We have to make sure those connections are positive. It says we have to make sure people aren't using their voice to hurt people or spread misinformation. We have a responsibility not just to build tools, to make sure those tools are used for good. Mr. Zuckerberg, do you feel it's your responsibility to assess users, whether they are good and positive connections or ones that those 15 to 20,000 people deem unacceptable or deplorable? Senator, are you asking about me personally? Facebook. Senator, I think that there are a number of things that we would all agree are clearly bad. Foreign interference in our elections, terrorism, uh, self-harm. I'm Those talking are about things. censorship. Oh, well, I think that you would probably agree that we should remove terrorist propaganda from the service. So that, I, I agree, I think is, is clearly bad activity that we want to get down. And we're generally proud of, of how well we, we do at that. Yeah. Now, what I can say, and, and, I, and I do want to get this in before the end here, is that I am... I'm very committed to making sure that Facebook is a platform for all ideas. I will tell you, I sat in a room with him two years ago, and I know, you know, people disagree with me on this, and that's fine. I sat with him, and I looked the man in the eye, and I could, he, we do not agree on policies. We do not agree on, uh, on politics. It's very clear. But I will tell you this. I truly felt he felt it was impossible and suicidal to get involved in politics because it's a global company. And he, he said, we, we are dealing with one, what was it? 1.2 billion users. We cannot keep up with it. We cannot, what, what, is, what is deemed hate speech in one place is not hate speech in another place. How could we possibly keep up with it? How could we possibly keep up with all of the candidates? And why would we do that? And it was a real point of frustration that I felt he had been wrestling with himself long before any of this happened. He was wrestling with... I, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to create a better world, whatever version that is. And we may disagree with a better world and what he believes is creating a better world. But he has wrestled with this and he doesn't see he doesn't feel that it is that it is possible to do it. I, and I think he's right on that, although that's not what he expressed that's yesterday. That's not what he was saying yesterday. He was talking about hiring people all over the globe because, you know, if you are in Uganda, mm -hmm. hate speech is a lot different than it is in the United States. You can't just look for the same slur translated. Whatever hate speech is and in it's, Uganda it's, is totally different than what it is this is, is the road that they're going to go down, they're, they're going to put themselves out of business. Yeah, because they're doing things that it's, their customers don't really want. The politicians want it. The media wants it. What, what what their customers want is, I followed a page, I want the stuff from that page. I made a choice to click like, give me the stuff they say. That's what they want. What, what, what Facebook is now saying is, we know you say that's what you want, but we know what you want better than you. you. We think you want better connections, or we think you want less passive media content. We think you want, you know, Whatever. seeing pictures of your friend's kids rather than reading a news story about Syria. 
And so we're going to prioritize that content over others. They're they're playing with their algorithm, and and again, it's their right to do this. Yes, but it's it, they're doing things that are the, playing to the media, playing to politicians, and not playing to their no. Customers. You know what they're doing? Remember, I said Facebook is the replacement for television, television news, uh, the the internet uh, for uh, radio, uh, for the telephone. It's the way we communicate with each other. It's the way we get our news. I said that about five, six years ago. This is, this is what it is. It is now becoming a utility, and people are using it as such. Well, what do those utilities always do? Those utilities always say, well, I know best. For instance, they are becoming a news source, but they're becoming CBS News, which said, we know what is right, we know what you want, and so we're going to give you these stories the other stories we're going to disregard with, for instance, the stories about the walkout at schools on abortion. Who's covering that? Well, Facebook has given you the opportunity to cover that. Whether you do or not, you have the opportunity. But if they use their algorithm to skew things, then even if you follow somebody who you know would be the guy who would, would bring that story up, you may not see their, their tweet about it or their, their Facebook post. They're becoming the old media. Sarah, could you please play the audio that we played at the beginning of the show from Russia? I want to. I want to play this. This is this is shocking audio. Кстати, далеко не все продукты действительно стоит брать с собой. Например, из круп дольше хранится Okay, so here's what this is. This was this is audio from state-run television last night, and it is saying, prepare for possible nuclear war with the United States. Okay? We were talking about Stormy Daniels. They were talking about possible nuclear war. And in that, they were, they were saying, you need rice, you need uh, uh, some sort of an oat, bring powdered milk, and get to the nearest fallout shelter should we say to do that. Don't panic. Just be prepared. That's what Russia is thinking about when it comes to Syria. We're not even thinking about it. Look, I, I don't know what's coming, but I have to tell you. Uh, listen to the Russians on this one. Be prepared for any eventuality and don't panic. There's a four-week emergency food supply right now that is available for only $99. Four weeks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for one person. Four weeks of food for $99. It's shipped to your home, uh, and you can have one package for everybody. Then you have a full month, and your family is covered. And it's easy to store. It's easy to grab and go. It is the responsible thing to do. Go to preparewithglenn.com right now, $99 for a four-week food supply, 800-200-7163. That's 800-200-7163, preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. One thing's for sure, Glenn, Mark Zuckerberg really liked the questions he was being asked. Senator, this is an important question. Senator, that's a a great question. Well, Senator, this is actually a very important question. I'm glad you brought this up. Senator, that's a a good and important question here. Senator, I think that this is a really hard question. (laughs) Senator, those are all important questions. Senator, this is a 
a really big question. Senator, this is a, a, a very <laughs> important question. Senator, I think the, the core question you're asking about AI transparency is a really important one. Yes, that's a good question. Yes, Senator, this is a good question. I think you raise an important question. And for the witness, Mr. Zuckerberg, the hearing is adjourned. <laughs> there you go. Good questions. It was a good. It was a good series good questions. of questions. You may have Mark, that up. I'd have to tell you, I I wish I could say that about your answers, but I can't really say that about your answers. I like, thought he actually did okay. He did okay. Uh, he just. I don't know what he was. I just don't know what he was going for. When you say, well, I mean, you know, look, he he believes in you know bigger government than I do, but when you're running a company to say, you know, I welcome regulation. No, no, I don't welcome regulation. And we kind of talked about this off the air yesterday. You welcome regulation and and then you say, well, it just depends. It has to be the right regulation. It doesn't really mean anything. And he kept saying that over and over again. What does it mean? Well, the right regulation to him is probably, you know, regulation that helps him and hurts his new competitors that are coming up, which is, of course, what regulation does all the time. It blocks the little guys from being able to uh, to to get on board with that regulation. And he actually did mention that, uh, you know, a lot of this regulation is going to stop smaller companies from being able to to correspond with it. It so. always does. Mm-hmm. It always does. Back in a minute, some really disturbing news out of Russia. Glenn Beck, Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. It's a couple of things that are, I think, disturbing in the news today. One is, as we played for you just a few minutes ago, uh, what the national broadcast was in Russia last night, where they were saying, <clears throat> store food and uh, water and powdered milk and know where your nearest bomb shelter is because uh, we may be on the eve of nuclear war with the United States. But don't panic. That was the message on their news last night. Our message on Syria was nothing. We need to understand what we're dealing with here. The Russians have already said two years ago, the world is already in World War Three. It just doesn't know it. And the West won't pay attention. So they have been laying this groundwork for a long time. But I want you to see what the statement was from Russia. Now, remember what President Trump is doing is sending missiles over to teach Assad, the animal, a lesson, don't use chemical weapons. Okay? As long as no Russians are hurt, maybe we're okay. But is that true? Listen to this from Russia. From Russian ambassador to Lebanon said, if there's a strike by the Americans... Then we refer to the statements of Vladimir Putin and the chief of staff that the missiles will be downed. You've heard that all over the media today. But he adds, and even the sources from which the missiles were fired. Now, does that mean that if a Russian troop were attacked or just firing of the missiles... Can you verify that? What is the caveat here? Because listen, because they did kind of clarify, but I don't think it makes it better. Yes, a smart missile should be aimed at terrorists, not at legitimate Syrian government, the legitimate Syrian government that is fighting international terrorism on its territory. So, I mean, of course, our idea of what is a legitimate terrorist target and theirs are quite different. I mean, and they they believe anything associated with the Assad government 
is not a legitimate target. Now, of course, that's what we're actually targeting. Yeah, we're we targeting their. That, we believe we're targeting their bases in any place that help them disperse chemical weapons. Uh, which, by the way, were were removed many years ago. Yes, of course, by Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we're fine. We are in a the the world is. We may be in a Cuban missile crisis, but we're completely unaware of it. We better wake up and uh, and say our prayers uh, here that uh, cooler heads prevail and whatever is coming is uh, executed properly. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to war with Russia. I can't believe we're back here after all of the diplomacy between Rocky Balboa and Ivan Drago. You know, they, they all that hard work that they did to bring the two countries movie. together. That was a, that was a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a documentary. Yeah, was a it was. And it was no, just, it was just why a, not? Why not? It's written by Sylvester Stallone. It wasn't. It didn't really happen. Uh, Pat is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, welcome, Pat. You were disturbed yesterday by Zuckerberg. Yeah. Well, not by him specifically. More the Congress. More the senators. More uh, the American government that thinks it's their business to dictate to a private owner what he should be doing in his business. The only one who made any sense really was Ted Cruz because he cited a specific law, and I, I, I'm not familiar with the law, neither was Zuckerberg. <laughs> but um, but Ted was. But Ted was. Ted, of course, knew. And I think it must be a law based on um, receiving tax breaks is what it sounded like to me. Because if you're, if you're biased, you're not going to get the tax breaks because you're not, you know, you're not neutral. And that's what he was trying to get at. Are you neutral or do you consider yourself a biased organization because here's all the conservatives that you've censored? Um, and so I thought that was pretty legitimate. But the rest of this stuff, uh, Congress has no business dictating to a private business owner. I'm not a fan of Zuckerberg. Um, and I I don't have a real love for Facebook either. No? No. Uh, but you're a or, monster on Facebook. Monster. Bad. I mean, you're one of the yeah, biggest... I, Mm-hmm. The most prolific posters in Facebook history. I don't history. know if Facebook would exist without my posts. No, I don't think it does. No, uh-uh. you know? I think it's no. back to like a, a just at Harvard. <laughs> yeah. It just goes back to that. Yeah. Yes. Lindsey Graham yesterday demanding that, uh, that Mark Zuckerberg identify whether or not his business is a monopoly. Well, what do you mean whether my business is a monopoly? There was something called MySpace before me. Which I just did better. We're doing the same thing. Only people like it better, and that, I'm not. It's not my fault. It went out of business. Not to if, mention, there's 2,500 other social networks, yeah. and many of them with very large reaches. But he wanted to know if there's somebody doing exactly what Facebook does. Well, if not, start it yourself, Lindsay. Look, I face, did. Face, well, I didn't, but I stole it from my roommate, and <laughs> maybe you should steal something from your roommate, and you can start uh, making money off of it. I mean, it's it's it to me, it's um. Uh, it's amazing that he was asked, why did you buy Instagram? Yeah, none of your business why I bought Instagram. What do you, why do you think I bought Instagram? Because it was successful, and we thought it was a good investment. What do you mean, why did I buy Instagram? What a bizarre question for a supposedly conservative senator, which we all know he's not. Well, no, but there is a, there is a difference between a progressive conservative no, I don't think so. And even live Lindsey Graham. I do. I think a progressive. Cons- I don't think you're conservative if you're progressive. But we've we've always we've always disagreed on that. that. I think you can be socially <clears throat> conservative. Uh, well, and, I, and big I think government. Yeah, yeah, and he is. He yeah. obviously is. Yeah. And so uh, I, he he needs to be telling him none of your stinking business on many of these questions. 
Yeah, Graham, Graham asked him what we tell our constituents. Tell them it's a private business and it's none of your business. And if you don't like Facebook, don't. Don't post anything on it. Don't become a member of Facebook. Uh, how about that? Tell well, them, you tell can't live without frequent. Facebook. I don't know. We did pretty well without it for a long, long time. Well, for the first yeah. 7,000 years of human existence, we didn't have Facebook. Really? Yeah. Well, no, early on no, we had no. it. Well, 6,000 No, something. the Earth is only 5,000 years old. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I don't think I buy that, Pat. I don't think I buy that. There's a part of me that wants a little bit, like, not... A hundred percent there, but you know, twenty percent to towards like the pharma bro guy that guy just went to prison. That you remember, he like bought that drug and he just raised the price by like sixty thousand percent. And then like every time people would ask him, he would answer just like that. Screw you! I just you know, you, yeah. you, you kind of want Zuckerberg to just kind of stand up on the table and just grab his crotch and be like, eat this and walk out. <laughs> so I, well, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Yes. I I went and I looked back at the Howard Hughes <laughs> testimony. Because Howard Hughes, before he went nuts, um, they came after him and they were coming after him because of Pan Am. He had TWA and Pan Am was the big uh, uh, competitor. Pan Am was in bed with with senators and and, uh, you know, had all kinds of payoffs happening in Washington and they wanted to shut down TWA. And so uh, during the war, uh, Hughes, who was an aircraft builder, Hughes Aircraft, um, he got all kinds of government money to build, you know, specified planes that some of them were crazy. The Spruce Goose is one of them. The Spruce Goose should never have flown, but they were looking for something light, something that could be made out of material that we had an abundance of. So he said we could try lumber. Now, you're making a wooden plane that was five stories tall. The wingspan was a full city block. Okay? That thing is not going to fly. Well, the war ends. Spruce Goose is still, still being worked on, hasn't flown. And they're saying, you, were just, you, just, you defrauded us. You defrauded us. You, well, you were just getting rich off the taxpayer. And they were just trying to smear him. To hurt TWA. Now, it's a great testimony, but it's not as compressed and as full of fireworks as the, dra- uh, you know, as, the uh, as the writers made this drama in The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio. But the spirit is there. So here's how, here's how Howard Hughes dealt with the Inquisition in his day. Listen to this. I might have been willing to sit back and take a certain amount of abuse simply because, well... Well, I am only a private citizen, whereas you are a senator with all sorts of powers. But I think this damn circus has gone on long enough. White sufficient. You have called me a liar, sir, in the press. You have called me a liar and a thief and a war profiteer. Witness will restrain his Why comments. not tell the truth for once, Senator? Mm. Why not tell the truth that this investigation was really born on the day that TWA first decided to fly to you? So he walks out, and it really does happen in the movie where he walks out of, I mean, it happens in the movie, but it happened in real life, too. He was done. He was done. He's like, I don't answer to you. I don't answer to you. Yeah. I'm doing business, and you are feeding everyone against me all of the questions in advance. Will you give me the questions? Well, they were like, no, we're not, we're not, no, that's out of order. That's out, we're not, you're, you're telling me you're not giving them the questions in advance 
Can I get the questions in advance like everybody else here? I mean, he took them to task. That might be the last time a private citizen uh, took Congress to task and reminded them, I don't, I don't work for you. You work for me. I don't have to kowtow. I don't have to tremble in fear here. Uh, you're not my overlords. Because that's now pretty much our thought process when somebody goes before Congress. Has anybody ever since Howard no, Hughes treated remember, it this way? I don't think so. Remember when they were really coming after us? And there was rumor that they were going to call me to testify in front of Congress. And I said on the air, oh, let me. Because mm-hmm. I would have said that. Okay, But as it started to get serious... My attorneys were saying, uh, no, 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 no. And I'm like, oh, no, let me add them. Let me add them. No, because they create all of the rules. Yeah. They create all of the rules. They can say anything, bring you any topic. And if you say one thing wrong, you can go to jail. This is why they don't want uh, Trump to testify with Mueller. It's not because he's colluded with Russians. It's because... They, they, they control everything. Right. And he says one thing wrong, and obviously he's not always exact in his language. It's that uh, all it's it's that old uh I, I why would I be bothered by this? I don't have anything to hide. Well, you, you don't know what they'll consider something bad. Yeah. Right? That's why you have something to hide. Yeah. You, you don't know what they're gonna make out of what you say to them. Yes. It's terrible. And the and, and Howard terrible. Hughes, I think, got away with it because he had so much money. Yeah. And he was also bat crap crazy. Pretty much. But he was, but he had so much money, he didn't care. Mm-hmm. He just didn't care. And the problem here is Zuckerberg is like-minded with a lot of these guys. He believes that the government yes. has a hand in his business. Yes. So that makes it a lot worse. Yes. Thanks, Pat. A little embarrassing there for Glenn. Obviously, uh, that clip was from a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Wait a minute. Didn't uh, you just... So uh, that's Pat Grandley. She's coming up on the Blaze Radio and TV Network. Having Glenn get your facts straight. It was just a movie. He, uh, watch the, Leonardo uh, DiCaprio yeah. playing a fictional yeah, character. I, I got it. Watch. Go go to YouTube. <laughs> they're just not... They're, they're longer and, and not quite as dramatic. Uh, but just go to YouTube and, and look for Howard Hughes' testimony in front of Congress. Yeah, you can watch the real testimony. Yeah. And, and he was. He really was. He wasn't quite to that level that you hear from Leonardo oh, DiCaprio, no. but he was after him. The exchange when he's saying, you're going to give me the questions? Because you're giving them the questions. You're going to give me the questions in advance? I mean, it's it's really tense. Mm. And he is not afraid of Congress. It was nice to see. All right, let me tell you about Liberty Safe. Thank you so much, Liberty, for, for making this half hour possible. They've been our sponsors for a long time, and a ton of our uh, listeners, a ton of people in our audience have a Liberty Safe now uh, sitting in their home. I've been to some people's homes where the Liberty Safe is sitting in the living room. Yours is, was, I, well, I don't want to say. Um, but I, I've been to people's houses where, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful oh, safe. It makes whatever room you put it in better. It's really it's, beautiful. It's like a really nice piece of furniture in yeah. a lot of ways, yeah. So Liberty Safe, you can buy one now at a great price and receive 12 months interest-free with zero down and zero APR. They even offer Liberty Safes for as low as $20 a month. Liberty Safe, there is nothing like the peace of mind, the lifetime warranty, and the in-home delivery service that's unmatched in the industry. There's nothing like it. You want a safe? You want to protect your valuables? You want something that people are not going to be able to break into? They're not going to be able to steal your stuff? Nobody's going to get to your guns? Well, I mean, except for the senators. But uh, now with 12 months interest-free payments 
for as low as $20 a month on approved credit. But you have to act now. Protect what you value most. Well, not most. Maybe second most important. Because I don't, I don't recommend you put your kids in there and your family. Your valuables are always protected with a Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com, home of the best-built safes on the planet. It's LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Okay, so um, I want to tell you about a new politician getting into the race, uh, Eric John Schmidt. So it's good new leaders or yeah, uh, he's running themselves. for uh, uh, city council in West Hollywood. And uh, he has decided that he wants to be completely transparent. Great. I mean, that's what we want out of our politicians. We want them to be hiding anything. TMI here on this one. Uh, Schmidt released uh, his profile dudes nude. Uh, his profile page. Uh, On dudesnude.com? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure, but it's uh, his is uh, need to be nude. Um, oh. And he, he provided links for everybody. Oh, He's good. got 23 photographs, some showing him nude and some showing him engaged in sexual activities with other men. He also posted hmm. six videos of himself having sex uh, and a, a well. profile that opens up with the statement, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I've had a lot of hot sex and never got an STD. I'm drug and disease free. Wow. Hashtag life goals, huh? Right. <laughs> so he says, I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent transmerit and I, and I only have good intentions. I'm not running against anyone. I'm running for their seat. I have nothing negative no, to no. say about others and no, I never that's will. The, yeah, it's that's the, the verbiage so you want to use in that really, particular don't, circumstance. Don't say that. Um, I don't think that'll hurt my campaign any more than it would be a candidate stamp collecting hobby. Yeah, I mean, well, they're pretty much the little, same. Well, I might disagree. My hobbies do not affect any other part of my life. I don't think it, uh, I think it will help my campaign for people who believe the human body is art. Plus, it shows that I believe in transparency and I'm not afraid to express myself. I'm not a nudist. I don't do everything nude, but I am an exhibitionist. I am kind of shy, but I also like other people watching me have sex. So what a way to launch your campaign and in today's America, he just might win. Glenn Beck, Mercury.